You're listening to The Melting Podcast, a writing variety show featuring a little of everything from everyone, everywhere. Hey, Lexicon Sewers and Word Chefs, welcome to episode 18 of The Melting Podcast. Welcome! Hi. I am your head chef, A.F. Grappin. I'm your grill mistress, Aaron Kazmark. And I'm the dish boy, Theo Kazmark. We've got some great stuff lined up for you this month, folks. It's not lined up so much as, like, you know, piled in the middle of the floor. Organized chaos. Like herding cats. Herding H-E-R-D or herding H-U-R-T? Herd like sheep. We're going to start with three Stoke the Fire stories. These are for prompt number five, which is... Something in the bathroom is your character's spiritual leader or confidant. Bon appétit. Origami Sin by Martin Spurnow Let there be light, came her velvet voice from my tub. I had almost forgotten how divine my bathroom smelled since she'd moved in yesterday. I fumbled for the toilet in the dark and pulled up the seat. You had light all night, my goddess. I'd rather veil my shame in darkness while I take a leak. In truth, it wasn't her eyes on me that bothered me. I knew the sinful reaction my body showed with every thought of her. I'd seen her once, and it was hard enough to void my bladder with only her vision in my mind. No need to give my sinful body more proof of her divinity. I left the lights on all night for you, I said to cover the splattering sounds I made. The very earthy smell of my urine helped ground me a bit. Yes, I saw all night, and it was good. The water in the tub made some very suggestive sloshes as she moved about. The light you gave me showed me so much beauty in this little universe of yours. It is all good. Was she stepping out of the tub now? Could it be? But then you came in and brought the dark again. Splish, splash, wet footsteps on tiles. I think you're hiding something from me in this darkness. Something even more beautiful. Not even darkness would veil the kind of sin my mortal body was contemplating. In the presence of a deity... The least I could do was cover it. The heat of her body radiated into my back as she stood behind me. Even without light, I knew her every feature, could imagine the feel of her under my fingers. How her hands might work the clay of my flesh. My awareness goes beneath your outer skin, she murmured in the dark behind me. A fingertip touched my spine, not at all hindered by my shirt. Her breath brushed that exposed bit of skin at the back of my neck. More than a few religions might have been born from that sensation. I could feel life rush to my face. The sinful thoughts that poisoned my heart would no longer stay hidden. All that light you gave me, she said, her lips softly brushing my skin. Yet it didn't illuminate what you asked me. Her hands sunk through the fabric of my shirt to rest on my ribs. It confuses me. Very much. What? I croaked. I was the one to be confused, embraced from behind by a deity as I was. How could something I said confuse an immortal being such as her? You called it Origami Zen. She reached her hand into my hair, twirling a strand around her fingers. Images of a gray lock of hair in a shrine swam through my consciousness. You're testing my piety, I managed. I am not worthy of your attention. Then I realized the words she had used. Origami Zen not original sin. Why are you so afraid of this origami zen? 
she slowly turned me around to face her in the dark of my bathroom. Fears are no match for true enlightenment. Her hand found the light switch over my little sink. Was it possible this divine being had no idea what I'd been talking about yesterday? If origami zen is to be the core of this new worship, I am ready to fold my soul into it. I looked up into her radiant smile. Those will be the words, she said, and they are good. Drip, Drip, Drip by A.F. Grappen The apartment was great except for the plumbing. It wasn't even all the plumbing. It was just the one faucet in the half-bath downstairs. I had no intention of using that bathroom for much more than a guest bath, like I ever have guests over. But you know what they say about plans, right? Considering how much time I spent downstairs, it shouldn't have come as a surprise that if I needed to take a whiz, it was in that little half-bath. And when I opened that door, I could hear the incessant drip-drip-drip of that faucet. It wasn't a problem at first. A bathroom visit took all of 60 seconds, so I wasn't subject to the drip-drip-drip for long. But you know how if you're in a bathroom and someone knocks on the door or talks to you, how sometimes you can't finish going after that? The faucet had that effect on me. I found a solution pretty quick. I'd turn on some music on my smartphone to drown out the sound and it would be fine. But after about a month in the apartment, I swear the drip-drip-drip got louder, like it was trying to yell over the music. There's something to say about a noise that can drown out Green Day played at full volume on a smartphone, especially in close quarters. The damn leaky faucet did it. It wouldn't have been so bad if the drip-drip-drip had been in time with the music. The faucet's rhythm stuck in my head for more and more time after each bathroom visit. Eventually, there came a time when the drip-drip-drip hadn't faded from my mind before I had to go to the bathroom again. When I opened the door, the drip-drip-drip in my head was perfectly in time with the drip-drip-drip of the faucet. My heart slowed to match it, and I had none of that peeing reluctance I'd had before. My acceptance of the leak caused problems at work. The drip-drip-drip in my head lingered in my subconscious, its constant beat drawing my attention from the people and things around me. I zoned out of conversations. It took me all day to finish my paperwork, what should have taken all of about an hour to do. My mind kept constant time with the drip-drip-drip, like some weirdly moist chant that never stopped. One day, I discovered I could no longer use the bathroom at work. It was too big, too empty, and dead silent. I sat in the stall and waited, but it was like waiting for a bus that wouldn't come. The faucets here were automatic and well-sealed, not a drip among them. That evening, when I headed to my car, my bladder screamed its full displeasure. I hadn't been able to empty it, and all I could think was not how much I wanted a toilet, but an ever-crescendoing drip-drip-drip in my head. I drove far faster than I legally should have, thankful that I hadn't been pulled over. I darted into the half-bath and almost wet myself with glee at the repeated drip-drip-drip of the faucet. My heart slowed down to match the rhythm, and I finally caught my breath, unaware I'd been on edge every moment of the day. Finally relieved, in heart, mind, and bladder, I sank to my knees in front of the sink. My head bowed, and all I could do was thank the faucet for being so stable. I knew it would always be there for me. I could have no problems while in its presence, and I knew it. 
Again, the drip, drip, drip grew louder, making its promises that it would indeed care for me. I was in good hands. It promised. It consoled me. There was no way I was leaving this room again. Bath Time, an Invocation, by Austin Malone. The whisper of your voice, so sweet, compels me out onto the street to seek an offering worthy of your grace. I feel a gentle, mental nudge. I succumb without a grudge. Your will enfolds my mind in its warm embrace. I spot our goal as you guide my feet. A figure slouched on a bus stop seat. No one will miss him, is what you say to me. You withdraw as I close in. Jolts of pleasure prick my skin. I stroke the pruning shears, giddy with your glee. Then the tone shifts within my head. My stomach sinks in a mire of dread. An imminent crisis is threatening our plan. I retreat behind a tree, and coming round the corner I see flashing lights on top of a black and white van. The police cruise down the road. Closer then their advance is slowed. I despair as their spotlight finds our prize. I steal away into the night, avoiding shafts of pale moonlight. My insides ache till you whisper compromise. Hope rekindles in my breast, but then my faith is put to the test. Am I worthy? I ask in a trembling voice. You decline to answer me. I share your silence timidly. Can I truly be an agent of my own choice? Decision made, I change my pace. I'll wrest triumph from disgrace. I hasten to return to the home we share. Unseen, I slip through my front door and down the darkened corridor, which leads directly to your sacred lair. The shears are once more in my hand. The door opens at your command. I approach the bath to offer what you're due. I awake on the cold tile floor. My five fingers are now four. Robert Ducky, I am awfully fond of you. Theo? Yes? You're scary. Yeah, especially when you whistle. Don't, don't, don't do that anymore. I just don't. I'll just wait until you're going down that dark hallway and, you know, get started. That's not, that's not nice. See, this is what happens when you write poetry for us, folks. It's awesome and scary. That was really great. I enjoyed it. We noticed. How many fingers do you have now? 
enough. That wasn't creepy at all. All right, here's a promo. Advertisement. On a quest for domination, evil sorcerers from another land tore apart the barriers between our worlds, and the release of magical energy burned the earth. Ten years later, a young woman named Skylar took control of the magic and used it to stop them and seal the rift. Earth was saved. Or so it seemed. Now, a new threat rises. Though the rift was closed, sorcerers from that distant land still live in our world, and the greatest of them, Embryal, has vowed to open a new rift. Helping him is Cassandra, a dark reflection of Skylar, who is devoted to him heart and soul. Will Skylar's magic be enough to stop them? And when she finally comes face to face with Cassandra, will she use her power against someone she so easily could have become? Written by Justin R. McCumber and published by Crescent Moon Press, A Broken Magic is the second book in the Born of Fire series. Skylar's adventure began in 2012 with a minor magic, and now it continues as Skylar once again pits herself against powers older and stronger than she is. Amy Dale, author of Off With Her Heart, says, Justin McCumber's Born of Fire series follows a very unique storyline, and I love that it doesn't feel just like every other book I've read. He has an amazing way of developing a universe that you can see. I am excited for what more is to come from Mr. McCumber. And Philippa Ballantyne, author of Wraith and Hunter and Fox, declares, Justin McCumber knows how to master both action and character. His writing takes you to places you'll want to go. A Broken Magic is available in print and ebook from Amazon and Barnes and Noble. To learn more about the author, please visit him at justinmacumber.com and facebook.com forward slash Justin R. McCumber. So we're back again, all three of us. You know, this is actually a historic moment, guys. We haven't re- sat down and recorded all three of us ever. This is pretty awesome. It is pretty awesome. Yeah, we we kind of conned our dish boy into this. He's used to just being in the background doing the chores, cleaning up after our disasters, you know. But sighing. He does a lot of sighing, but but this time we decided it, he needed to come and uh, take some ownership, be heard, what without you- creepy whistling and poetry. Yeah, well, you know what he's going to have to sit through now. Now what? Food critic segment. Ooh. Because this is a book that you guys haven't read. Yet. Yet. I am the only one who has read this. So we're going to be doing a food critic segment on Evolution Angel by S.A. Hutchton. I like her. Yeah, that's Starla Hutchton, but S.A. is how you can tell if it's child appropriate or not. And if it says S.A., it's not child appropriate. No, it's, it's, it's not. Evolution Angel is a new adult superhero romance novel. It is the first of a trilogy, but we're only going to be going over the first book. And the basic plot of the story... No spoilers. No spoilers. Is that Candace has finally gotten old enough to apply for a superhero treatment. Basically, science will give her superpowers. She can become part of the program to protect America. Woo! Yeah. So, she's going to be going through... Basically, a sort of 
Hogwarts-style schooling for superheroes. Hanging out with other supers, dealing with the transformations to her genes that have given her superpowers. And, and romance. That's super. Because the gene <laughs> manipulation makes you want it. Really? It does. So not only is she dealing with all this internal stuff with her... I'm going to go ahead and tell you, she's get, she gets an elemental power. Um, she's also dealing with the guy that she falls in love with, and the guy who she can't stand but can't seem to get rid of. So we have that going for her. Feelings. All right, so if we were to break this down, you know, we've already talked about genre, we've talked about the age group it's it's aiming towards, you know, new adult. How would you feel that the uh, the flow of this book was? How was the pacing? This book flowed extremely well. It's one that I did not want to put down to the point where I basically rushed through the entire trilogy over the course of about two weeks, which for me is reading very fast. But this book, I think it took me all of maybe two and a half, three days to finish, which it's not a thin book either, but from one major plot point to the other, it was seamless. I never felt rushed. I never felt like anything dragged. So good transitions. Extremely good transitions. Um, the individual plot threads wove together very well. Mm-hmm. As in, you know, you weren't bogged down with all this action and then the action completely disappeared when we got to romantic stuff. Uh, everything just f- melded. It was real life. Different things happened on day, you know, in one day. Mm-hmm. So things that Candace dealt with overlapped. It wasn't, I'm going to solve this problem. Okay, now I'm done with that. I'm going to solve this problem. It just, it was all... Realistic. It's extremely realistic. So how did the characters come across? Were they believable? Were they realistic? I feel like I could have met them on the street. The main characters are, I've already mentioned the three of them. There's Candace, the main character, who, to be perfectly honest, Aaron reminds me a lot of you. Ooh. She, she is you if... I don't want to say if you hadn't met Theo, but she's she's you younger if you had had a real drive to become a superhero as a teenager. I was a superhero as a teenager. I don't know what you're talking about. She can she can be a little um, psychological, <laughs> but yeah. very very self aware. Mm-hmm. And when gene manipulation starts to happen, she starts doubting things, and she don't like that. But she's a complete and utter nerd girl. She has collector's cards of the superheroes that she ends up hanging out with. I mean, come on. Yeah. Um, the two guys, there's there's Jackson. And he is an ass. He is a complete and utter ass. But you understand him. You know where he's coming from. And even though you're seeing him through Candace's eyes, you can't help but still want to know more about him, even though he's a complete jerk to her. Mm-hmm. Um, but the way that she ends up dealing with him isn't... A, it's not like a, a romantic comedy where, oh my god, I hate you completely, and then by the end of the book, they're in love. in love. Good. I like that. But it isn't also a, you know, I completely hate you, so I'm just going to completely avoid you. They keep interacting. Mm-hmm. So there, there's some really great co- character conflict there. They, I mean, they can't avoid each other. They're in the same complex. Uh, the other guy, Adrian, I loved him. I really loved that character, and he was one that I personally understood very well, because he was a lot like me. Uh, If I get too much into his character, I'll start giving away spoilers, so I'm not going to. Well, that's a spoiler in itself. Yeah, meta. Meta humans. Yeah, no. Wow. Starla, don't worry, punching will happen in your stead. 
Okay. Ow. There. See? Promise fulfilled. I'm awesome. So what what rating would you give this book? How many spoons would you give this book? On a scale of one to five spoons, I give it the full five. Wow, that's a big one. I really liked this book, and I'm not really, I mean, don't get me wrong, I'm a, I'm a hopeless romantic, but I don't really read a lot of romance, because mm-hmm. so much of what I, I have seen... We're used to bodice rippers, yeah. things that don't have a real story. I was sucked in from the start. I mean, I'm, I like superheroes, I'm not huge on them, but I love a good superhero story, and Starla did it in a very intriguing way, with their genetic treatments, and that develops even more throughout the trilogy, too, so go pick up books two and three as well. I have them, and I will be reading them. Good. It's just a really solid and even genre mash. You get everything throughout. It sounds to me like it's life. There's romance in life. There's action in life. There's conflict in life. There's personal issues in life. Which, to be perfectly honest, I have seen in pretty much every one of Starla's books that I've read. That's one of... Very down-to-earth? Extremely down-to-earth, despite, you know, superpowers. Well, to me, that seems like Starla herself. Yeah. That's something I've noticed about her. She's Superwoman. She's Wonder Woman. She is. Oh, yeah. But yet, she's got that element of the fantastical about her. Yes. So she seems very much the type of person to write that kind of thing. You know, I knew when I first met her that no matter what it was she had written, I wanted to read it. So. I have yet to read anything of hers I haven't liked. That is high praise. So. Starla, you're awesome. So I highly recommend the first book of the Evolution Trilogy, Evolution Angel. Uh, book two is Evolution Sage. Book three is Evolution Hex. Just go get all three. Trust me. Available where fine books are sold. Well, let's move on to a little seasoning. I know. I know. I know what seasoning it is. I know. It's, it's V. For Vendetta? No, V for Veronica. Veronica? Veronica Jaguar. <gasps> My 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 voice acting and narrating kind of idol, you know. I I want I want to be her, you know. But then you'd have to lose Theo. No 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 no. I want to be her, but still be me. I want to be as awesome as her. Oh, so why is she awesome? Well, why don't you listen and find out? We are here at Balticon 49 with the absolutely stunning and coffee-laden Veronica Jaguer, voice actress Supreme. Supreme. Sup- yes. <laughs> Su- Suprema. Supreme. going to be Su- Suprema. Supreme voice actor. I don't know. Yeah. Act- <laughs> actressina. Okay, now we're, get- now we're just getting silly. <laughs> getting? <laughs> Thank you, folks. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so one of the things that I've been wondering, because we are kind of breaking into this voice acting thing with the podcast, okay. is a lot of people say that for writers, one of the best proofreading things you can do is read your own work aloud to yourself. That is absolutely true. But we're wondering, what are some sort of things that you see people doing that does make it harder for you when you're bringing a voice to their words? Well, one, they don't read it to themselves. <laughs> Two, there are some words. Um, a sentence can look really good on the page. You can use really colorful language. You can pick some of the best adjectives and adverbs and place names, and they look awesome on the page. And it just, it's, it's a piece, the sentence is a piece of art as written. When you try to say it, however, it doesn't flow as well. So understanding that there is a difference between something that reads very nicely on the page versus something that reads very nicely aloud. So one of the things 
one of the reasons why we ask authors to read stuff to themselves is not just to look for grammar flubs and are using the right word, but does it sound the way that you want it to sound? Is it conveying the right tone and message with the words that you're choosing? Um, corollary to this is fantasy authors and sci-fi authors who love to make up place names and character names, and they look really neat on the page. Please limit yourself to one apostrophe. <laughs> yeah. The apostropocalypse. Yes. Yes. Um, remember that some guttural noises and sounds don't carry across well. Um, and depending upon who you want to have narrate your stuff, or even if you're going to be narrating your own stuff, there are some sounds that don't string well together. A bunch of plosives. Um, you'll be cleaning your microphone. Mm -hmm. um, guttural sounds, you'll need to turn around and spit before you can get through the rest of the sentence. So, yeah, it looks really cool on the page, but can you say it? And you, you hear this as advice to authors, if it's written this way, but it's pronounced Fred, you know, a P-H-R-E-D-D, -D, I get. Um, P-H apostrophe R-E-I-Y-D-H-D. That might be a bit much. <laughs> yeah. So things like that, it makes me wonder, what on earth does the apostrophe stand for? What letters have they left out that require the apostrophe? Or is it just a way that their choice of new language, is it where they emphasize things? Mm -hmm. um, they're actually one of the series, one of the stories I narrated, um, The Ballad of Iron Percy, it's never been put out in print. It has always been an audio. But I can tell you from the script, the word magic, as the main character talks about, is capitalized. Mm -hmm. So there are certain things um, that when you're speaking, you want to stress them to carry across the text. So when I was talking about Pandemona and her talking about magic, there was a pause. There was kind of a little emphasis on the word because it's important. Mm -hmm. It's not just magic. It's magic. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't know if, how familiar you are with the actual book of Wicked, uh, mm. the tale of the Wicked Witch of the West. It might be on my shelf at my day job as a reference. <laughs> well, because they, they, they have that sort of thing where there are animals, and then there are yes, animals. animals. Where And in one part in the narrative, it does mention that you can hear the capitalization of that. And the thing is, if you listen to the soundtrack, even, um, Edina Menzel, she actually does do that. Mm -hmm. It's not just animals, it's animals. Mm -hmm. And there's a very kind of hollow palette sound that she puts on that A, and she does carry it across. I mean, she's an accomplished voice actress, talent, you know, goddess in her own right. Clearly. But, but it's it's a good, if you don't know, if you've not listened to Ballad of Iron Percy, but you are a fan of Wicked, like I am, then, you know, get that track, listen to it, and you can hear it. That's one thing I'm behind on, as I haven't listened to Ballad of Iron Percy yet, and I hear it mentioned, like, anywhere you go. It, so, I, I suck. No. You have time, or lack thereof, like all of us do. And it's just it's when you get to listen to things. The Luckily, the audio is always there. It's yes. not going anyplace. Do you have anything in particular you'd like to ask? As, as our you know, head voice coach okay. on the podcast? Having seen you do the improv the other night, um, <laughs> which, by the way, thoroughly enjoyed, um, <laughs> yes. um, something that I have struggled with, with 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 some of the voice acting I do is trying to make sure my, every character I do doesn't sound like me. Mm -hmm. And something I noticed when you were portraying different people, your posture would change. You, you became very physical in the way you sat, the way you gestured, the the facial expressions. I mean, there was, you would hunch your shoulders, or they'd go 
back, you would lift your chin. Mm -hmm. And I noticed that because of the way you were sitting, your voice came out completely differently. Yes. So is that, obviously that's deliberate. It's intentional because the sound has to come from somewhere. You have to, you have to understand a little bit of how you're voicing things and where the noise is coming from. So your, your sound is starting, you know, your diaphragm, that's where the air is coming in. And so it's got to go all the way up through that channel. It's got to come up through your chest, through your throat, your vocal cords, and then through all of the, you know, hard and soft spaces in your mouth and then out to the air in front of you. So you have a lot of room to work with. You have a lot of channels to play with. And messing with your posture helps you do that. So you're not just relying on, a lot of people will just rely on their vocal cords and their lips and their teeth and their tongue. If you rely on your back and your shoulders and your knees to change that channel, you get so many characters out of it. And it helps you remember how they sound. Um, I only, I, I would say maybe within the past six months, I switched from narrating while standing up to narrating while sitting on a bar stool, which mm-hmm. is in my studio. And the reason that I did that was because I needed to keep myself a consistent distance from the mic. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, I dance around. Um, yep. <laughs> so, yeah. Crap, I do that too. That's why I plop her yep. on the uh, recording couch. Yes. Yep, I have to sit. <laughs> you have to sit. But it's important, so it's consistent. At the same time, I make sure that I can either hunch over, which is why I have a bar stool. I can hunch over. I can keep my legs straight. I can pull them up on another rung. I can, you know, move my arms. And I make sure that my microphone is hanging above me because I will gesture and hit things. So... When I'm not like any of us would ever do that. We're not there yet. We hit the box all the time. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) It's a space thing. I've hit the keyboard. I've, yeah. Um, Actually, my worst, the thing I have to edit out the most these days is my shoulders crack, which is Uh the most annoying thing. I'm like, why in the world? Mm -hmm. My jaw clicks. Yep. Hydration, hydration. But knowing, doing that full body acting, it gives you more characters, it gives you more range. With Secret World Chronicle podcast, I don't know. I can't count how many Russian superhero characters. I really only have one solid good Russian accent. And it's figuring out the pitch. It's figuring out the delivery. It's figuring out, am I goofy? Am I serious? Am I, you know, going to really injure somebody at the end of the sentence? And how I stand and how I move is going to direct that. And it's really funny because after a while... um, you could probably watch me and tell exactly what characters I'm doing because each of them is going to carry themselves differently. It's much method acting right there. Yeah, from a trained naval architect and teacher who's had no theater training and no voice acting okay, training. Okay, that answers my next question. Yeah, it's, it was happenstance and volunteering, and I just like goofing off. There's nothing wrong with that. Nope. All right, I've got one. And I just lost it, damn it. Um, <laughs> but we do need to get close to wrapping this up, so remember it quick. Um, oh, I need a horror story. The worst director or, or writer who has commissioned you. Okay. Were they nitpicky? Were they, did they not give you enough? What's the worst? The worst one that I had, and it was, a, it was the reason why I now always look at the script, and I make sure I know the author or the publisher when I accept an audiobook. This was a blind solicitation through ACX. I was desperate and thought, okay, well, this is someone I don't know. I'll give it a try. It was the most horrific, lifetime-esque um, attempt at female power than I've ever seen. It was called Today I Marry Myself, and it was a combination of lifetime channel, um, 
you know, say yes to the dress, name, like brand dropping, name dropping nonsense. It has sold one copy ever. (laughs) The comments about, um, at one point there are about six women sitting around a table drinking wine and making comments about their partners. And I have had to, I've, now I have narrated erotica. I have narrated romance. Every other bit I've narrated has been fantastic. I never want to ever utter the phrase, well, just ride that thumbtack for all it's worth ever again. So this is the last time, folks. You'll never hear it again. We have a soundbite. It it, it will not happen again. And um, I think there were issues with the rights because the publisher actually had to pull the title for a while. I never got, it was a royalty share. So I never made any yeah. money off that. And I had to redo titles. There were issues with the script. It was a nightmare. And so mm-hmm. my learning experience from that was I make sure I know the author, the rights holder. And if I don't, I read the script. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, needless to say, I'm not hurting for work right now. So it seems to be hey, okay. That's awesome. Yeah. I could have to one more question. Okay. Um, what advice would you give to a writer who is considering also having audio, an audio production done of their work are they going to do it themselves or are they going to find someone to do it don't know okay any, any, any possibility if they are going to work with someone else be prepared to pay the person a little bit up front because if you can pay them for their time then that means that your audio person can hire an engineer and clean up the work mm-hmm. um, but audio work remember that for every finished hour of audio it requires about four to six hours worth of work and if you're offering someone fifty dollars per finished hour of audio you're pretty much paying them about nine dollars an hour mm-hmm. and sure anyone can sit down and read a book but not everyone can sit to- she flubs her lines. Not everyone. <laughs> this is not scripted. <laughs> not everyone can sit down and read a script and have other people want to listen to it. Yes. So it is a craft. It is a profession. You need to pay a professional. People are very willing to negotiate. Royalty share is viable. Be prepared to pay a stipend because if you pay me a stipend, I can hire the audio engineer. And the audio engineer can do their thing. They're a professional. They can clean up the audio and we can get your audio book out faster. So, so be prepared to pay for quality. Yes, pay for quality. There are plenty of people who will work for free and work for a reduced rate. But are you going to give your book away for free? Do you want to get paid? Remember that you're putting out in another medium. Other people want to get paid too. So where on to interwebs can we find you? You can find me on the interwebs at www.voicesbyveronica.com. I might be addicted to Twitter, so you can find me at (laughs) V4Voice. That's V-F-O-R-V-O-I-C-E. You can find me on Facebook by searching for Veronica Jaguer. Um, I think I'm the only Veronica Jaguer who does voice acting, but that's G-I-G-U-E-R-E. And... You can listen to the Secret World Chronicle podcast novel at www.secretworldchronicle.com. Ding! Woo! Thank you very, very much. Thank you. Woo! <laughs> Yay, promoting each other. We do the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, yeah, I haven't stopped recording yet. <laughs>
So moving on past our seasoning, I think if we have any more pepper, I'll start to sneeze. Um, now it's time for us to move on to our prompts. So it's October, and prompt number five is now closed. <gasps> you had a good run. It was beautiful. And I'm over it. Okay. Currently open is prompt number six. Why is everyone afraid of the mailman? Why? Why? Tell us! We need to know! Yeah, so write us stories about that. 1,500 words or less. I mean, seriously, AF has been out there yelling at our mailman because everybody's apparently afraid of him, so, you Um, know... We actually have a female man. Right. I'm scared of her. Why? You'll have to tell me why. I wish you could see the look I'm giving you right now. Dun-dun-dun. And now introducing prompt number seven. Prompt number seven. Write a story featuring one of the Melting Podcast crew. I am Theo, washer of dishes. Okay, someone needs to put him back in a sink because that was, um... It's okay, honey. That was wonderful. I'm drunk on power. Apparently. Or maybe I'm just drunk. So, what we want from you with this, we want you to write a story with one of us. You've got A.F. Grappin, you've got Aaron Kazmark, you've got Theo Kazmark. We want you to write something featuring one of us as the main character of your story. You know what? If you want to make us a villain, that's cool, too. Oh, yeah, yeah. Villain's awesome. Totally down with that. Our only stipulation is keep it PG-13 or under. We do try to maintain a little bit of a safe-for-work sort of mentality around here. Yeah. <laughs> but have fun. There's no specific genre we're looking for. We just want to see what you can do with what you know of us. Or just what you want to do to us in a clean way. Make me a demon that's summoned by pumpkin spice incense. Nobilis, behave. That's all I have to say. No tentacles. Cooley, you too. Okay, I guess we gotta wrap it up here, friends. Episode's gonna be over. But hey, we'll be back in a couple of weeks for our mid-month episode. So you will be hearing from us again in two weeks. We'll have a nice bonus episode waiting for you, cooking something up right now. Thanks for tuning in. And as always, you know what I'm gonna say. Send us stuff. And we'll use it to feed the masses. Thank you for listening to The Melting Podcast. You can check out our website with submission guidelines and current prompts at TheMeltingPodcast.com You can also find us on Twitter at MeltingPodcast Or you can email us TheMeltingPodcast at gmail.com The Melting Podcast is released under a Creative Commons, Attribution, Non-Commercial, No Derivatives License, which means you're free to copy it and share it as long as you don't change it, don't sell it, and always link back to the website. Sound effects are by the Free Sound Project. And our theme is by Drew Rich Creek. Send us stuff. stuff.